We're going to move on to the second part of my message today, which is an introduction to the book of Ephesians. Uh, let me just give you a little secret about me as a lead pastor. I languish over what to preach about. Like I discovered early on as a senior pastor when I moved here that the idea of doing four to six week topical sermons that are clever and have a nice marketing strategy killed me. Like that was just not something that came easily for me. I struggled mightily with it. I didn't feel like that was necessarily what the Lord was calling me to do. Turned out I am just an old school expository preacher. That, that is really what God put on my heart in terms of the preaching ministry. And so since the end of 2010, I've just been preaching books of the Bible. I've preached the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, recently, sorry, the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, and then recently the Gospel of John, and a few things in between. But generally speaking, that's what I do as a preacher. Even then, I languish over which book of the Bible to preach. There's only 66 ones to choose from. I've knocked out three. That leaves a lot of choices. And I'm a middle-born kid, and I don't make choices easily. Like, I languish over these things. And so all summer long, I told my staff I thought it would be Ephesians, but I wasn't sure, and I really struggled. That was like the one stressful part of my summer that I had to really make a decision on. And so on the second to last day in Colorado, I entered into a spiritual discipline where I would not fish until I got an answer from God. (laughs) I mean, that's extreme. Uh, But I did. I sat in my room and I said, I'm not leaving. I'm not moving until you give me an answer. I have to know. And I don't want to do what you don't want me to do. I need to know what would you have me preach as we enter into the fall. And he filled my mind with dozens of scriptures from the book of Ephesians. So many that are my favorite verses, verses that have informed my identity and my life and my role as a pastor and my love for the church, the, the, the spiritual Uh, armor of God to help me stand against the enemy like so many things and I I was like okay it's Ephesians it was very clear the Holy Spirit was this is the book this is the time I needed that kind of clarity and I got it so if you're asking me why Ephesians because I feel like this is what the Lord has called me to do and I think as we go through the next few months we'll all collectively come to understand why because it's always exactly right with the timing and everything. It just turns out that way, you'll see. But uh, that's my answer for why Ephesians. Now, I have three subheadings. <laughs> You're like, no. Uh, very quickly, uh, the author and audience, the purpose, and the flow. Just as a little setup, uh, an introduction to Ephesians. The author and the audience. So most of you know, I mean, this is considered one of Paul's letters. It's one of 13 letters attributed to the Apostle Paul. That's how I was taught to say it when I went to seminary. Because some of those letters, some people suspect, weren't actually written by Paul. And Ephesians is one of them. You want to know why? Because there's this group of scholars called modern critical scholarship. There are scholars who try to apply the scientific method to their study of Scripture. And in their esteemed minds, this letter is so unique. It's so different from Paul's other letters in terms of style and some of the language and and the lack of some things that I'll point out in a second, that they became convinced this letter must have been written by somebody other than Paul, maybe one of his disciples or, or whatnot. I don't want you to worry about that. The vast majority of biblical scholarship since the early church fathers all the way to present day believe this letter was written by Paul, and I do too. Critical scholars 
oftentimes came up with some pretty weird theories that seemed to overlook the obvious. For example, it says, I, Paul, am writing this letter. <laughs> then, within the letter, there are multiple verses written in the first person. I, 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 I've been praying for you. Whenever I think of you. So, just stick with me. If you are a person who loves God and you're writing to the church in the name of Jesus, it would just be a sin to feign somebody else's identity when you did that and make everyone believe that you're somebody that you're not, right? So it's completely logically inconsistent. Secondly, when it comes to the style of this letter, it is undeniably unique. But I'm going to show you why in just a minute. It is unique. But understand that Paul was a very brilliant man. He was classically trained both in Greek education and Hebrew education. He was very well read. He quotes many different people in his address to the Athenians. And so he's leveraging a different template, a different style, and for a different purpose. And I'll get to that in just a minute. And again, be encouraged. The vast majority of biblical scholarship has never been a question that this is a Pauline letter. Now, who is the audience? You're like, well, duh, it says Ephesians, right? And it does. If you go to chapter 1, verse 1, in most of your translations, it's going to read, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. From the early onset of the early church fathers all the way to present day, the vast majority of people say, duh, it's going to the church in Ephesus. But, as you know, yeah, well, many of you don't know. Um, you know, when, this, when the King James Version, that English translation was published, there were about a dozen Greek manuscripts that were used, then translated into English, actually translated into Latin, then back to Greek, then to the English. Today we have over 2,600 manuscripts of the New Testament. They've been found in excavations, they've been found all over the Middle East from you know, Israel and so on, all the way up into Asia Minor, down to the southern tip of Africa. I mean, the gospel spread so quickly with so many copies of people writing this down. There's nothing like it anywhere in the world. But as excavations continue to happen, manuscripts were found, and some of them dated very, very early, and they didn't have the words in Ephesus. So in those Greek manuscripts, it reads, to the saints who are and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And there's just no in Ephesus in those manuscripts. Of course, the critical scholars just went crazy about that and uh, theorized that maybe this letter wasn't actually written to the church in Ephesus, but just a general letter to the churches. And in this respect, I'm not sure that I completely disagree with them. Why? Well, if you remember anything about the book of Acts, Paul actually went to Ephesus, preached there in the, in the synagogue, and then stayed there for two years. And he planted that church. He pastored that church for two years. He would have known every single person in that church by name. He knew all the situations and the conflict and dysfunction that was that church, right? He doesn't mention any of those people. Remember uh, in, in Luke, sorry, when Luke writes in Acts 20, verse 18 through 38, Paul stops on the coast there of Ephesus. The elders come down to greet him. He tells them, I feel God's calling me to go to Jerusalem. They're like, don't go to Jerusalem. You'll get arrested. You might get killed. He's like, I have to go. And they sob, they weep. He, there's such a deep relationship with those elders and that pastor. And yet in this book, he doesn't mention a single one of them by name. 
He doesn't, he doesn't address them with the familiarity of a church planner with his church of two years. And so for that reason, it does seem that this letter, although I do think was written to the churches in the region of Ephesus, was probably not written to a particular congregation, but more as a general letter to the churches. And this was very common in Paul, and you'll read in some of the letters, Paul is saying, read this letter to the church in Laodicea. Read this letter in another one of the churches or all the house churches. So the audience is the churches in the region of Ephesus, but probably not the particular church. So what is the purpose of the letter? It's largely believed that Paul wrote this letter and this time late in his life in 60 to 62 when he was imprisoned in Rome. He was put under house arrest he had a lot of time on his hands. He's a long ways away from the people he loved, from his congregation and all the congregations that were planning. By the way, Ephesus was the, the epicenter of church planning for Paul. He had raised up disciples and he sent them out into all the surrounding villages. It's how the gospel spread so quickly in Asia Minor because they headquartered in Ephesus, but he sent his team out. For example, like the church in Colossae, we have the book Colossians, no one thinks that Paul actually ever made it to that church. That was planted by a member of his team. He was informed of some of the challenges they were facing. He wrote a letter to them. There's a lot of churches, house churches, small churches all over that region that were planted by his team. So it seems likely that while he's in Rome under house arrest, the Holy Spirit brings those churches to mind and he writes one of the most beautiful, eloquent, thoughtful letters that applies to all of the churches really to all Christians. And that is the book of Ephesians. It doesn't have the timestamp on it of the first and second Corinthians written to a very particular church going through very particular challenges of crisis and he's heard from the Chloe's people. It doesn't have the personal nature of Timothy and Titus where he's doing very specific instruction to young men that he knows. It, it doesn't have, uh, a, you know, like, a, a, um, like, I mean, Philemon was such a perfect example of a letter written to a, a person person for a very particular situation. In it, we find great timeless truth. But Ephesians is like a missive. It's, it's like Paul's deepest, most beautiful thoughts summed up and encapsulated in six short chapters, and it's a gift to the church. Then and the church now. It's remarkably relevant. Uh, the purpose then seems to be to remind the church of our first loving Christ, the joy of our salvation, to equip the church to walk as followers of Jesus and to stand strong against the evil one. That seems to be incredibly relevant right now, does it not? And so I think you're going to find Ephesians to be a remarkable book. Uh, now, as we work through Ephesians, there's a flow, and I want you to remember this. It's very easy to remember because it's all about your posture. The first three chapters... Begin with kneeling. Paul says, I kneel. We kneel in adoration and humility before the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're saved by grace. We've been adopted into the body of Christ, the oneness in Christ. It's praise and adoration for three chapters. You're kneeling. Then he says, therefore, walk as followers of Jesus. Walk is one should as, as a follower of Jesus who's been set apart and is part of the unified body of Christ. I think it's this very practical direction for how we live our life as Christians, both as a community called the church 
and in our homes, very practical direction on how to walk as a follower of Christ. This is great discipleship for new believers, but it still is relevant to this day for those of us who are believers for a long time. And then the last thing is he says, stand. Stand firm. We get to chapter 6. It's a call to stand against the enemy, to stand against the evil one, to equip ourselves with the spiritual armor of God. So you're going to see this flow as we walk through Ephesians. Kneel, walk, stand, right? So that's just a picture of the flow. Okay. I hope this is whetting your appetite to get started here. I'm just going to give you a few little points of, in quotes about Ephesians. Did you know that John Calvin, the father of Presbyterianism, if you will, and one of the great reformers in the 16th century, this was his favorite letter from Paul. But even more importantly, this is the favorite letter of Paul from Dr. Kent Matthews. So there you have it, right? If you guys remember Kent. Um, there's been a lot of famous things said by famous people about this book. Armitage Robinson, who was a great English pastor and scholar, 19th century, wrote, Ephesians was the crown of St. Paul's writings. Samuel Taylor Coleridge once stated that Ephesians was the divinest composition of man. John McKay was the former president of Princeton Theological Seminary at the turn of the century, 20th century. And uh, here's what he said about it. He said, to this book I owe my life. He goes on to explain in July of 1903, as a lad of 14, he experienced a boyish rapture in the Highland Hills and made a passionate protestation to Jesus Christ among the rocks in the starlight after reading the book of Ephesians. Quote, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive. And then he walked outside with his hands raised and sang Lady in Red. <laughs> oh, that was somebody else. Never mind. <laughs> Forty-five years later, John McKay is now the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He's speaking in Edinburgh on the eve of the launch of the World Council of Churches, the greatest singular movement of unity of the worldwide church. It was really a beautiful thing for a while, and he was a big part of it. And in that address, he, he just focused on Ephesians. It was called God's Order. And in that lecture, he stated that Ephesians was the greatest, the maturest, and for our time, the most relevant of all Paul's works. Those are very high words for this book that we're about to walk through. But it's had that kind of power on great thinkers and leaders of the church. It's had that kind of power to bring unity through so much diversity has had great power to equip Christians in the persecuted church to stand. This is a great book of the Bible, and I think you'll be very blessed as we go through it. So I have an assignment, two things as you enter into your week. Number one, I want to challenge you each individually to find some space alone, to stop striving, to stop racing, to stop doing for God long enough to experience the joy of his presence and his love and his delight over you that has nothing to do with what you were doing for him. I long for you to have that experience with him, but you won't do it if you're on the phone or if you're just find some space and time, get up early, stay up late, whatever it takes to just be with him and understand it is enough to be with him that he d delights in being with you. Amen? All right, second thing is, as your professor, I'm assigning you the task of reading the first chapter of Ephesians every day this week. 23 verses won't take you more than five minutes. 
But I promise you, if you will do this, you will discover 23 verses that you cannot read in the same way more than once. There is so much depth and so much beauty in the first 23 verses of this book. It is some of the most powerful words attributed to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that there's just glory in it. And you'll experience glory. You'll experience joy in your heart as those words begin to penetrate into your busy life and your challenges of identity and where you are and what you're supposed to be doing and all these kind of things. Read the first 23 verses, chapter one, every day. And use your pencil and underline repetition. Look for the, the, the things that he emphasizes in those 23 verses. Now, will I preach on all 23 verses? Or are you out of your mind? <laughs> we'll be lucky to get three or four. We're gonna take our time. There's so much here. But I want you to be reading it every day in preparation for next week, okay? Nod your heads. All right, I'm holding you to it. Spend some time alone. Read the first 23 verses. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this new chapter in our life together as a, a multiplying church, we pray that you'd go before us. We pray that you would be with Pastor Nathan and Becky and his beautiful kids and that you would be with the leadership of this church as we seek to follow you into something that makes our knees knock. And yet it is the right thing to do, to multiply, to expand the kingdom of God. And we pray that you would make this happen because, Lord, we know that we can't. You need to do it. And I pray that we'd be found faithful to pray and, and to serve and, and to be involved as you would lead us. Lord, as we enter into um, this new book of the Bible, as we're, we're going to work through very slowly and, and just plumb the depths of this letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, I just pray that you would, you would quicken us, that we would, we would come to know Jesus Christ as the center of everything, that it would lead us to love you more, that we would have new outlooks, new experiences, new attitudes towards other people, that we would discover what it is to be truly alive in Christ truly one is the body of Christ, empowered to walk and equipped to stand. Lord, and we do join our hearts together for the persecuted church. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who are here with us today, several who are soon returning to their places of service where they feel very alone, where they rarely run into other Christians, that they would know that they're not alone and that we would lift them up in prayers and we would support them with our finances through this Be The Light offering. Lord, we pray that you would move, continue to move. Move in us and through us for the advancement of your kingdom until that time when Christ returns and makes all the wrongs right. We pray this in his name, amen.